and welcome to today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Today I have a great opportunity to interview Dr. Matt Sakamoto, who is an internal medicine physician and has done a variety of online and in-person practice. It's been a pleasure that I've met him through the last couple of years through Clubhouse and Twitter and Telemed Now group. So great opportunity to get to see his insights. So let's get to the podcast. All right, Dr. Matt, thank you so much for joining Sam Talks Telehealth. Um, this is actually, oddly enough, our first time making eye-to-eye contact with each other because we know each other through Twitter and Clubhouse and whatnot. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So before we get started, obviously, I know a lot about you because we've known each other for a while, but uh, give the audience a little bit of an overview of you, what kind of physician you are, the the highlights. For sure, yes. Yeah. So I guess my one-liner, one-and-a-half-liner, so... Um, Matt Sakamoto, I'm based out of San Francisco, so I'm a virtual primary care doc, um, so virtualist out in uh, the Sutter Health System, so that's kind of half my job. The other half of my work, I do kind of inf- clinical informatics work, so doing a lot of kind of epic maintenance, but also kind of make, make, making making the connections happen between uh, the, the docs and the EHR and the patients, so um, that's most of my life on a, on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> So obviously, before you were a virtualist in primary care, you were in person. Tell me, what do, you, what do you see as some of those biggest differences in primary care around being a virtual primary care doc versus in person? Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll kind of speak to it a little bit. So the differences and like the gray zones in between. So also kind of by background, I did, you know, primary care as a clinician and during residency and everything else in person. So traditional primary care. Also did completely virtual primary care. So I worked for a couple of uh, startups over the last year or so. So I got to kind of do that. And so at my current practice at Sutter um, called Terra Practice is actually really nice because it's a little bit of both. So 90% of my time is done virtually um, and actually even like kind of asynchronous texting, phone calls and video visits. And then I get a half day of clinic um, every week where I do get to see my patients. And uh, yeah, so those are like the different practice settings I've seen. The biggest difference I think that I do like about um, virtual or virtual first primary care is speed and flexibility. So the speed at which a patient can kind of hear back from me or my team is infinitely faster than if they're waiting for even like a phone call or trying to go through the front desk. So I think that's just like the conversation cycles just happen a lot faster. So I think that's the nice part about virtual um, and particularly asynchronous virtual. Um, The other kind of piece that I'll throw out there is kind of time makes up for touch. So we don't, in a virtual practice, I don't really get to do a physical exam of the patient, but the amount of time that we can kind of create. And again, the asynchronous part is really nice because either I can do it, my nurse can do it, or our, um, our nurse practitioner can handle a lot of this stuff. So they're not waiting on me. And I think that's kind of, so in a traditional practice, the clinician tends to be the bottleneck um, with the virtual practice, particularly with these asynchronous things. Um, you can make up for that kind of by um, having lots of, lots of hands uh, helping out. I like that. And we've, we've talked before, you know, when it's um, purely like this urgent care kind of virtual care model that looks a bit different than a primary care. So in the model that you're in now, are you able to handle some of your more complex chronic disease through this rapid communication process? Yeah, I'd say that's also actually probably, and again, in that time makes up for touch idea holds true even more so for chronic disease management because so, before take a patient you know with patient with diabetes i'd see them like every three months and it's like okay hope you're doing the stuff i asked you to do you know between january and uh, march now that we can do check-ins frequent check-ins and the barrier to um picking up the phone to calling messaging them or doing a quick video visit um is so much faster so again the number of touch points um again i'm not seeing them in clinic but particularly for things like diabetes even blood pressure if they're able to check it from home and kind of let me know biomarker wise how they're doing 
same thing. I, I think the you can close these gaps and kind of get to goal faster with these more frequent touch points. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think, you know, even with with all the rapid implementation of COVID, is that when we're talking about chronic mm -hmm. care, people really focus remote patient monitoring on chronic care. Instead of saying, look, in a virtual primary care model, especially when we have in-person and virtual, we can manage a lot of these things that 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 higher touch point allows us to manage. Yeah, I totally agree. And again, a lot of things don't need to be seen in person. So that allows you to create more time for those in-person visits. You know, you're not doing those 15 minute chunks. You can actually, for those people that are coming in, you've done a lot of the pre-workup as well. So you can spend that time actually um, counseling and relationship building and not information gathering because all of that happens prior to the visit starting. That is a super important thing, which goes perfect into my next question. So you just did an article about um, digital empathy and, and, and I really love that. So talk to us a little bit. What does that mean to you? What does that look like um, as we're in this virtual change world? No, for sure. This actually, it's another clubhouse friend. So Sarah and I got to co-author it. I was super excited to do so. So she's a, a strong, strong patient advocate. It was a lot of fun working with her about that. Um, yeah, the impetus for the article was really like a lot of articles in the press and even in like the telemedicine literature was about website manners. So you're like, okay, like make eye contact through the webcam. And I was like, can we get past like 101? So that, and then the, the term that she came up with really is, is digital empathy. So it's, it's not just about making the eye contact. And for me, it's just about intentionality. Um, the thing that we thought about is you lose a lot of body cues and just kind of um, nonverbal cues, uh, even on, on video when you can kind of see them because you can't see shoulders or <laughs> below the shoulders often. Um, so it's just about being intentional. So intentionality about connection. So if you're um, the idea of leaning in, actually even stepping back, so showing more of the frame, um, being able to provide more of those um, uh, kind of nonverbal cues. So I think that's a, that's, that's the biggest step is like being intentional about showing that you're caring um, and, and, and creating and maintaining that connection. Yeah, and I think I think that's important because obviously from a provider standpoint, you know, that uh, patient provider relationship is really important. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only thinking, yeah, am I making eye contact, but also, you know, am I doing an environmental scan? Like your bookshelf seems organized, you know, whereas if there's like all these things going on around you, that gives you a lot of information about what's happening with that person and what might be going on in their lives. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The other thing that I, I've often said is that telemedicine um, and telehealth has brought back the home visit. Um, and, and there is a level of connection that kind of uh, we talk about there. And actually, I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the article, but so one, I get to see the patient's home. Another piece of a little bit about the digital empathy is like, I actually try not to use a virtual background when I do my visits from home. Because in the same way, it's like I kind of you know invite the patient into my home. Um, as well. So, you know, try not to make it too messy, but it's, it, it, to me, at least, and that's kind of the way that I've gone with it is it tends to be, or I tell myself, it's, it's a little more humanizing as well for, for my, from my end. And I think that's true because it's actually, the other thing about virtual backgrounds. So when I do training with clinicians, especially if they have like the logoed ones or like a, you know, a beach or something, they look weird, right? The way it cuts around your head. I think that, um, I think that that blurred background isn't so stark, but yeah, inviting them into your own home so that they realize you're a normal person too, can mm -hmm. really make a big difference in that connection. And, you know, if they hear your dog bark, then, oh, I have a dog, right? Right. It's like these things that can be those connection points. Yeah, for sure. 
for a short break in the podcast, I want to talk to clinicians out there who'd like more resources and support around getting on the camera. We know you've been doing it for well over a year, but there's still some things that can always help you present just as professional as in clinic as you do on camera. So for additional resources, I've created a workshop called Camera Confidence for Clinicians. You can find that at telehealtheasy.com forward slash camera. And that's a workshop to really help you get more connected with your patients, feel as professional in person as you do on the screen. And it's a nice workshop to be able to give you all the tools checklists and some really easy hacks to make it you know less overwhelming to be on camera and not so worried about i don't know the second chin or any other variety of things but we've got you covered telehealtheasy.com forward slash camera for a great workshop on improving your virtual health visits and with that let's get back to the podcast Okay, my favorite question always to ask, especially doctors, uh, <laughs> if you could change one thing in healthcare, what would you change? I know. I'm gonna do a sort of a cop-out question, but I think it encompasses some stuff. So it, it's the, uh, the gross uh, answer. So it's getting rid of stupid stuff. Um, there's a doc actually out, out of Hawaii, uh, which, which is where I'm from originally that, that coined the, coined the term. So it's really all of the extra stuff. Like if you think about on a day-to-day -day basis, the amount of administrative stuff a patient has to jump through, um, and a clinician has to jump through, it's a lot. So I think there's just getting rid of that layer. Um, again, the fact that we have an entire scribe industry, that we have an entire billing industry that exists to fix the complexity that's there is nuts to me. Um, so I, I think it's just being able to get rid of all of these extra layers and we're slowly making kind of progress towards it. Um, but I think that would just make both again, clinicians and patients significantly happier is kind of all just these like extra layers that don't need to be there. And being that you're like a technologist, uh, you know, and you like this kind of things, do you, do, I mean, do you see like AI is the solution to that? Or is it many layers that we almost have to unravel? Cause sometimes we have that challenge. We keep, it's almost like with policy, right? We never stop a policy. We just put more policies on top of it. Yeah, no, I, I think it, a lot of this stuff ends up getting over-engineered, right? So like you, you create something to fix a problem but that's more of a band-aid and that in and of itself creates a problem. So I think, I mean, it, it, the, it's the long, slow road, but like stuff on the policy side just ends up probably pushing more levers than creating technology. So um, technology is good for like a short-term fix. Um, a lot of like you know, the AI, particularly in the process automation. Um, so like RPA, robotic process automation side of things, um, that's helpful for kind of automating the stupid stuff. Um, but not needing that to even be there, I think is, is the step. So like, I was never really a big policy guy prior to COVID or any of this stuff, but like I'm leaning more and more towards that because like people just move towards where the incentives are. So, yeah, that's definitely can be that moving towards. So as a because I have a master's of public administration, yep. and I always say money follows policy, and so I'm always encouraging you. And having been in telemedicine for so long, what do all doctors say to me? Sam, you figure out how we get paid for it. I'm just here to give clinical care. Now, COVID's changed that landscape, but I think we are seeing that, you know, you and I see that with the explosion of RPM. Everyone keeps saying, how did RPM all of a sudden become such a huge business? Because there's policy behind it now that has benefit, which gets it paid for. Yeah. 
Okay, Matt, I am so, so excited you came on the show today. And I really do appreciate your time and your, you know, your knowledge in this area. I think without providers uh, coming and talking about this work, we can end up too much in the technology side of it versus what's the human side, because without the clinicians, we wouldn't have any patient care. Thanks so much for joining me. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sam. And that's it for this episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Isn't it awesome to get a chance to talk to providers, learn what they're doing, how they're doing it, and what they see as the future. Don't forget to like, subscribe to the podcast so you know when we're dropping everything new. And of course, you can always visit me personally on telehealtheasy.com. We'll see you back here next time.